thank you that you are good news, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you coming to this world of sin and suffering and death spelt good news. The light has come into the darkness. Uh, and uh, Lord, we thank you for your light. We thank you that you came to save us. Uh, and uh, Lord, as um, Matt continues to sort of, in a sense, unfold the story, Lord, I pray that you bless him. I pray that you fill him with your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, uh, uh, Lord, this wonderful good news. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who is unaware of that good news, Lord, I pray that their eyes would be opened even today to the good news of you and what you've done through Matthew sharing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. As David's already said, my name's Matt, and I'm, uh, I'm one of the leaders here at, um, at Jubilee Church. And we're working through a preaching series, and it's called Amazing Grace. And the title of the preach this morning is called Amazing Salvation. And today is a little bit different because the preach is going to lead into a baptism. And we are going to witness and be a part of the baptism of young Reuben. Give us a wave, Reuben. Fantastic. As he publicly acknowledges and demonstrates his desire to follow Jesus. So I'm going to be looking at the topic of uh, salvation. Specifically, is salvation amazing? That's the question. And that then naturally leads into the topic of baptism and the link between salvation and baptism. And I want us to be clear what the baptism ceremony is about, why we do it, and sometimes it can get a little bit confusing, so I want to try and attempt to clarify what I believe the Bible says about salvation and baptism. Before I do, I'm just going to pray again, and we've already prayed once, but I'll pray again. Father God, I just pray you'll help me deliver a message that is from you, that is your desire and your will to bring us closer to you. Give us hearts and minds that understand and receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. The concept of salvation, or being saved, is absolutely central to the Christian faith. So, is salvation amazing? I looked up the, in a theological dictionary the definition of the word salvation, and it says this, deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. Deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. Straight away, that definition struck me. It struck me that sin has two properties. The first one is that sin has power. Sin has power over the sinner. Just hold that thought. The Bible describes it as chains or shackles or to be bound, or to be restricted. You can't just shake it off. Sin is powerfully holding on to you. The other property of sin, from the definition, is that sin has a penalty. We pay a price for our sin. So sin has power, and sin has a penalty. Two properties. However, Salvation, from the definition, delivers us from the consequences of sin. So let's dig into that a little bit more. 
in order for there to be salvation, there must also be a problem. What are we being saved from? Let's first identify the problem. The problem that humanity has is expressed by Paul in Romans 3, verse 23 to 24. Fantastic. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what sin means, to fall short. If you imagine that I had a target at the end of the hall and I had an archery bow and I was to fire it and the arrow was to fall short and hit the ground, that's what sin's like. It's to fall short from what God's best is. Okay. So what I say. So I'm a sinner. I'm not up to God's perfect standards. What am I meant to do with that definition? What am I meant to do with that information? How does that affect me in Shepparton on Sunday morning? How does that affect Matthew James McLaren in 2023? Well, the problem gets a bit worse. See, not only am I a dirty, rotten sinner, the Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. So the penalty is death. So you might say, well, that's no problem for me because I'm not a bad person. I'm a good citizen, I pay my taxes, I work hard, I take care of my family, I'm kind to my friends, I see old ladies across the road, pick up shopping from the co-op, raise money for charity, so surely God will not judge me so harshly. There are far worse people in the world than me. Why would a loving God send me to hell and damnation? Well, there is another problem. The Bible says my righteousness and your righteousness, is but filthy rags. In other words, all those good deeds mean nothing to God. You cannot earn your place in heaven. You cannot do stuff that makes yourself eligible to get into heaven. That makes, and that makes Christianity quite unique. Nothing you can do in your own strength, your own intellect, makes you good enough. So what's the point then, you might say? Because what you're saying, we're all doomed. Well, not quite, because there is good news. God gave us a rescue plan to save mankind. And it's this. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ came to earth. But he was no ordinary man. He was the Son of God. And in John 3, 16... It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I want us to read the rest of that scripture that we started in Romans 3, 23 to 24. It says this, we'll start from the beginning. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely, by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We, through Christ, are made right before God. When God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, something truly amazing happened. Now, Jesus went through terrible torment 
and torture, excruciating pain, and he died on the cross at Calvary and was properly dead. But three days later, he rose and stepped out of the tomb. In doing so, he conquered death. He defeated the enemy, Satan, and has created a way for everyone to be cleansed and freed from the chains and curse of sin. Jesus broke the power of sin. Jesus paid the, paid the price of our sins on the cross at Calvary, the sins of the world for every living person. So is that it? Jesus paid the price and now I'm free? Well, not quite. You see, salvation is a gift from God that we have to willingly receive. So how does that work? You know, I've been quite fortunate, blessed, I think it's probably a better word, blessed, that uh, through my years of being through church and going on to Alpha courses and spending time with people that are exploring faith, that they'll come to a point where they feel in their heart something stir, something they've never experienced before, something incredibly special. And it's, I believe it's the Holy Spirit speaking to that person. They're saying, you know what, what this stuff that you didn't believe, you now believe, because this is true, this is real. This Jesus is real. And what we do is we walk them through a process so that they can become Christians and become followers of Jesus. And I'm going to read out a prayer. And if you are a follower of Jesus and call yourself a Christian, I want you to listen to what I'm saying and repeat after me, not out loud, just in your head, silently, just between you and God. Reaffirming those words you once prayed when you first became a believer. And if you're here for another reason, I would encourage you just to listen. But if you think, actually, you know, I think this might be for me, then I would encourage you to pray out that prayer and repeat the words that I'm saying in your head. So, church, please indulge me. Please repeat after me. Here we go. Remember, it's silently, but I'm going to leave enough gap between my lines so that you can do it. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Now, if you have prayed that prayer for the first time, then you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus from this day forth. You have received the gift of salvation. Then I would encourage you to go and tell someone. Tell them what you've, what you've prayed out in your hearts and begin to live the Christian life. And we've got plenty of Bibles and people that can talk to you and encourage you on that journey. So let's get back to that question we started. Is salvation amazing? Yes, it is. Amen. Soon we're going to hear from Reuben, who is going to explain his personal journey to faith and what led him to want to be baptised. So what's baptism all about? 
In truth, baptism is actually a big topic and not one that I can cover in the time we have available. So I'm going to give us a, a brief overview. I want you to think of baptism as a symbolic move from death to life. Baptism is a symbol of Christ's burial and resurrection. Our entrance into the water during baptism identifies us with Christ's death on the cross. His burial in the tomb, the horizontal position of Christ in the tomb is symbolic of being his horizontal in the water. And his resurrection from the dead, Jesus standing alive, is symbolic of us alive in Christ when we emerge out of the water. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, I'll read this from the message translation. It says this, Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it, a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant cancelled and now to Christ's cross. Also, I want you to think of baptism as a symbol of a brand new life. It is a symbol of your new life as a Christian. We bury the old life and we rise to walk in a new life. You know, baptism is a bit like a wedding ring. It's an outward symbol of your commitment you made in your hearts. A commitment that has to be followed through and lived out on a daily basis. I want you to think of baptism as an act of obedience. Water baptism is an act of faith and obedience to the commands of Christ. In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, it says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think of baptism as a public declaration. Baptism declares that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a public confession of your faith in and commitment to Jesus Christ. It is the next step after salvation through repentance and faith and is an important foundation for Christian life. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. You actually quoted it earlier, Dave. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Baptism doesn't make you a believer. That was covered earlier when we did the, the prayer together. It shows that you are already are one. So baptism doesn't save you. Only your, your faith in Christ does that. Think of baptism as entering a new family. Baptism connects you with the body of Christ. That's us. His people on the earth. In baptism, 
there's a real sense of being joined with other believers. Not just participating in an individual act on your own spiritual journey. Okay. So in conclusion, here we go. Sin, it's not to be taken lightly. Sin is not to be treated as a minor consequence of life. It's powerful and it carries a penalty. In the same way that hell is not to be taken lightly. I saw a t-shirt recently on TV. There's a young lady wearing it and she proudly displayed on her t-shirt, Made in Hell. It's the idea that she's free to express herself. And that no church or religion or institution is going to tell her how to live her life. But it's foolishness. It's foolishness. Hell is real. And the consequences of sin are real. And not to be trivialized. If you have not been baptized, it does not mean that you're not a Christian. Or that you will be refused entry into heaven. I look at the thief on the cross next to Christ who was assured he would be with Christ in paradise. He was never baptized and yet promised eternity with Jesus. Remember, point three, Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus was a sinless man and yet he humbled himself in obedience to identify with us and give us an example to follow. Therefore, we get baptized out of obedience. Point four, just to sum up those thinking points. Think of baptism as a symbolic move from death to life. Think of baptism as a symbol of a brand new life. Think of baptism as an act of obedience. Think of baptism as a public declaration. And finally, think of baptism as entering a new family. I'm going to pray in a minute, but before I do, I'll invite Ruben, Raj, and uh, Mike, if you want to get yourself ready. Uh, I'm going to invite the band up as well, because they're going to perform a, a, sorry, play a song for us, uh, a worship song, whilst these guys are getting ready for our baptism ceremony. I'm just going to pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you for the gift of amazing salvation, which is the title of this preach, Lord, because salvation is truly amazing. I thank you that you made this available to every single person on earth. There's no individual that does not deserve that gift. No sin that's unwashable. There's nothing that can stand between you and the love of Christ. I thank you that Reuben has made the decision to be a follower of yours. Lord, we thank you that he wants to be baptized. Lord, we pray a blessing on Reuben and his friends and family that are here today. Lord, I just pray a blessing on each of you as you witness Reuben's public declaration. Lord, I thank you for Reuben's courage and obedience. And I pray it be a witness to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.